Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us and challenge us, that you would make us more aware of who you are and more willing to follow. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe it was Robert Frost who penned two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and I, sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as far that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. That's Frost's version. I wonder how that poem would end nowadays. Two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I didn't even notice because I was driving by at 75 miles per hour in an interstate and didn't even see it coming. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I was too busy to care. I was cleaning up from the last holiday, getting ready for the next holiday, plus there's everything else that needs to be done this next week. Two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I, I was nowhere near because I was just following where everyone else was going. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I, I changed the channel because this one was kind of boring. Two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I chose the road that was the easiest, the simplest, the one that looked like a shortcut because I didn't have much left to give. Frost's point seems to be the less taken path makes all the difference. My worry is that that only works if we recognize that there's a fork in the road in the first place, let alone choose the road less traveled by. I mean, sure, sure, on the odd chance that any one of us is wandering aimlessly along a path in a yellow wood, I guess there is a chance we would choose the grassy, less worn way but choosing, let alone noticing the choice, seems harder and harder. More worrying still is that this is probably a metaphor for life or something. I'm not good with poetry. But it probably has something to do with then going a different way, of, of being a little bit different from the crowd. And yet so often in life I feel like I'm just trying to keep up. How do you take the less familiar, less popular, less easy path? Or how do you even notice the choice in the first place? While we think about that, let me remind you where we are, uh, because today we are finally coming to the end of our series studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And as we've been talking about, Jesus has been painting this picture of how we as Christians are supposed to live, and yet how we are also supposed to be different. We're supposed to be distinct. Because, of course, as much as Jesus' sermon sounds like simple good news, good moral advice, the reality is it's really difficult to live. And yet, it's who we're being called to become. It's what it means to be Jesus' disciple. We're called to be 
beatitude people, as it were, poor in spirit, meek, merciful, peacemakers, pure in heart. We're called to live this out into our world like, like salt in a world that sometimes feels like it's decaying, like light into a world that, that sometimes feels dark. And as such, we become a people who love not just our neighbors and not just the strangers, but even our enemies, which of course then leads us right back to God because we're going to need His help because He's going to have to do something inside of us so that we can live as His disciples, so that we can live out these beatitudes, so that we can learn to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Last week, Jesus challenged us to be less judgmental, to do to others as we would have them do to us. Today, we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you would, I would invite and encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Let's read. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a, a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at His teachings, because He taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Amen. We made it. We came to the end. We got there. Uh, though in some ways... The teaching part really came to a close last week. Today, Jesus is simply trying to encourage us to actually then apply it. Will you live this or not? Will you become a beatitude people or not? Will you become disciples or not? Will you seek His kingdom and His righteousness or just your own? Throughout this whole sermon series, he has been making the case that we as Christians should be noticeably different, markedly 
distinct from all the people that we live with and around the people in our community, even a lot of our friends and family, because we live in His way with different priorities and different principles and different practices. But as with all things, Jesus knows that just because it's easy to affirm and agree with what He's said so far, the actual choice to live it is so much harder. Because let's face it, we don't want to swim against the culture's current. We don't want to be different from the crowd. We don't want to be left out in the cold. And this is why when we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we, we find Jesus telling us that we actually have to do something. He's calling us to respond, to change, to follow. This isn't just something we believe or know. It's something we do. It's a way of life, a way of life that Jesus lived and then Jesus died for. So he knows better than anyone else just what's at stake. He knows how hard it is, and he also knows how much better it is. Which is why he then calls us to see and choose his way. And he does that by setting up a series of, of dichotomies, really. Just in this one little passage, there are two gates, two roads, two different sized crowds, two destinations, two prophets, two kinds of disciple, two trees, two kinds of fruit, two builders, two foundations. But all of this is set up so that we see the choice that is continually before us, so that we see the decisions that we need to make, so that we see the way that we are to follow. You can choose to live the Jesus way, or you can live the way everyone else lives. And as with all important things, it's not enough to say you're going to do it. It's not enough to just hear about it. It's not even enough to just decide you'll do it. You actually have to start. You actually have to keep at it. So, let's take all those dichotomies and we'll consolidate them down a little bit and see what Jesus is actually inviting us to be and do. So, let's look back at the two roads and we choose His way, the two trees as we trust His way, and then the two foundations as we actually practice His way. But we begin with Jesus' pictures of these two different ways, because apparently there's this wide gate that leads to a broad road with a large crowd already on it, but that's the road that leads to destruction. There's also this other gate. It's a smaller gate leading to a much narrower road. A few people find it. It's hard to find. It's difficult to travel, but that's the road that leads to life. Of course, that's problematic for us in all sorts of different ways. First, the tricky thing about small gates is that they tend to require us to leave things behind so that we can fit our way through them. Not everything gets through a small gate. More than that, Jesus' point is that small gates are also hard to find. So you have to actually be looking for it. It may take some work. The tricky thing with narrow roads is that you have to slow down a bit. You have to be a little bit more careful because they're a bit harder to navigate. So you have to actually be intentional in how you travel to stay on a narrow road. 
I'm sure you've experienced that. Broad road, you can drive a little faster. When it gets narrow, you have to slow down. You have to be more careful. The tricky thing with places that are uncrowded is that we become more uncertain. We feel more unsafe when we're alone. So we have to have more perseverance. We have to trust that we're going the right way. Whereas those aren't as true for the alternative. I mean, if the gate is wide, you don't have to be intentional to find it, let alone to choose it. You just kind of, you just go through it. When the road is broad, you don't need to be careful to stay on it. You, you can drive as fast as you want. And if the road is full, there's this momentum that carries you along, and you don't have to doubt that you're going the right way, only Jesus says you're not. And yet, through all of this, Jesus is calling us to take the, the smaller, the harder, the lonelier, the hidden way, because it leads to life. It's haunting the way He says it, and few find it which is, I think, worth noticing. Unlike where we began with Frost's fork in the yellow road, wood, and the roads later, uh, where you know you've come to a decision point. There are times in life where you know you're at a decision point. I can either choose this or I can choose that. And that's kind of the setup when you think about these two gates. There's one giant broad gate, and then there's this little tiny gate over here, but the, the road comes to both of them is the way it gets pictured in my head. And yet, that's not how Jesus describes it. There's this broad gate that's kind of obvious, and everyone finds that one. And then there's some other gate over here somewhere, but you, got, you have to find, you have to look for it. It's not obvious. It's not easy. Jesus' small gate is something you have to seek and search for in order to even find it, let alone choose it. In other words, it's not obvious. In other words, it's going to take some work, maybe some persistence. Of course, let's also notice that we're not talking about only a one-time decision here because we're talking about a way of life, not just a gate to find, but a road to follow. And so this is something that we will continually have to choose. This will take intentional choice to stay on His way. I think it's also important at this point to, to remember the audience that Jesus began this sermon with. He's not at the beginning talking to the crowds, He's talking to the disciples. In other words, this, this isn't a, a message for non-Christians, though to be fair, at that point, none of them were not, they're all non-Christians at that point. Uh, but, but this isn't a preaching to the outsiders, that there's a broad gate and a narrow gate and find the narrow gate. This is a sermon for insiders. He's talking to disciples here. There's a broad gate, there's a narrow gate. Choose the narrow gate. Choose the narrow road. In other words, this isn't something for those people out there to become more like us in here. This is a sermon for us people in here to become more like Him, which is why the focus here isn't as much on the destination that we'll arrive at. The focus is on the life that He's inviting us to live, 
the life of a disciple living the kingdom of God out into his world, a life of following him, of following his way. And yet somehow in that we experience more life. Which brings us to the next dichotomy, trees and fruit. Because the question is then how do we trust that we're going the right way? Especially if it's not the usual or popular way, especially if everyone else seems to be living in a different way, especially if the other way seems easier and more enjoyable in the short term. How do you know where to go? How do you know who to trust? At which point Jesus seems to almost change the subject, talk a little bit about horticulture and maybe some dendrology, the study of trees. How do you know that a tree is healthy? How do you know it's not a weed? How do you know that it's doing okay? Well, it takes time, but eventually it becomes evident by the fruit. Health becomes evident over time. A couple years back here in Texas, we had that little uh, cold snap for a little longer than, than we're ever supposed to have in Texas. More of a cold uh, slap than a snap. It was really cold for a long time. Uh, anyway, if you have plants anywhere around you, uh, there were a lot of local shrubs that did not like being frozen to death. Uh, And that became pretty obvious pretty quick uh, that some of them weren't going to make it. It was harder to determine than a lot of trees, though. Now, obviously, some trees just simply didn't make it, and that was sad. Some trees enjoyed the cold, the refreshing change of pace. uh, But then there were those trees that had some damage but weren't necessarily dead either. And without just hiring an an arborist to come in and kind of determine, most people went with then the wait-and-see technique. That first spring then, did it sprout green leaves? Eh, Some. There's something still alive in that tree, but not as much as normal. So what do you do? You then wait. A couple seasons go by again. Now it's the next spring. Are there more leaves or less leaves? And you do that to determine how, how is that tree doing? Is it going to make it or not? Is it going to come back to health or not? If we had more fruit trees in Texas, Jesus' message would apply better. You could just taste the fruit. But it takes time. Coming back to us, how do we know where to go? How do we know how to travel? How do we know who to trust? You look at the fruit. Look at the the track record. Look to the person who's been there, who's been there and done it. In this case, for life, the one who's done it the best is Jesus. And not by how many people follow, but by how much life was evidenced along the way. We follow Him. We trust Him. Because in Him is life. Is fruit. Which brings us to our final image. Two builders building two different houses. As far as we can tell, both builders are building basically the same house. They may or may not be bad builders, except one builds on a good and stable and firm foundation, the other doesn't. The only real difference here is the foundation. And then a storm hits, 
as storms tend to do. And again, it seems to be the same storm that's now hitting both houses. So the choice of foundation doesn't determine the house, and it doesn't determine whether or not the storm hits the house. The storm's going to hit both houses either way. It's not like the storm with the good found the house with the good foundation just kind of sidesteps and the, the storm hits the other. The storm hits both houses. But the foundation does determine what happens after. Because the house with the weak foundation falls with a great crash. And the other doesn't. The difference in outcome is due to the foundation. And Jesus makes it clear that the stronger foundation comes as we choose to put Jesus' teachings into practice. Again, this isn't a one-time thing, but a perpetual process of carefully, continually, intentionally choosing the Jesus way over and over and over again. But his point is you have to live it. This takes practice. This takes work and effort. You have to do it. It's not enough to agree with Jesus. It's not enough to affirm Jesus. Not even enough to accept Jesus. What he's talking about is actually following, about living his kingdom, about discipleship. This is the foundation he's encouraging us to build our lives on which means that he's talking about not only the big choices of life, the big decisions, he's also talking about the little everyday ones as well. Will you carve out some time for Jesus, even when you're busy, even when it's a Tuesday, even when you have other things to do? Or much more to the point, maybe the Jesus way can't be carved out of my way. But instead, it's the choice to make His way my way, to put Him first, to allow Him to change the way I view and do my day. And this is why Jesus calls us to follow, to choose, to practice, to live His way, which finally brings us to our response, and really the crowd's response at that point. Because when Jesus finishes his sermon, we see the people marveling, and not just about what he said, and not just about how he said it, but about who he is. Because it's not just a great sermon or a set of timeless teachings. What's really important is less the what and more the who. Jesus isn't like the other teachers. He didn't speak like they do, and he didn't live like they did either. But instead, he showed us what the Sermon on the Mount looks like, personified, as he lived and loved and ministered and died and was raised to life again. The reason we choose to live the Jesus way isn't because this is the best sermon we've ever heard, though his might be. The reason we choose to live the Jesus way, it's because of Him. And it's because He chose us. He called us. He loves us. And He invited us to follow. He invited us to discipleship. 
He invited us to live the kingdom of God, to seek His kingdom and His righteousness first. And so we follow His way. Let's pray. Lord God, in some ways, this is the hardest part of the Sermon on the Mount. Because this is now when we have to actually live it out. We have to struggle with this. We have to do things. We have to change who we are so that we can follow you better. Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength, the perseverance, the willingness, and ableness so that we might follow, so that we might find your way, see your way, and then follow in it even when it's hard, even when the road is long. Lord, we pray that you would make us better disciples. We pray that we would give witness to the kingdom of God here and now. We pray that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, today and always. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.